My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 14, You Will Live to Die. Sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Lewis Carroll. Town's clock tower, a mile in the distance, had just sounded at the mid-hour. It was 4.30 and Dr. Andrews stepped from the side room. A nurse woke up Weissman and told him Andrews was ready to see him. Steve, called Weissman as he walked from the lobby. Over here, said the doctor as he leaned against the wall. He pinched the bridge of his nose. He had obviously had a grueling few hours. Steve, what happened? Asked Weissman as he came over. It's been a long night, Bernie. He confessed as he blinked his eyes. Well, where is she? He looked into the side room. She's been downstairs in the clinic for a couple of hours. She woke about an hour ago. I've spent that time trying to carefully piece this together with the assistance of Dr. Casey. By phone, of course. This whole thing, Marta, he said, taking a deep breath, claims her husband murdered the entire DuPont family in quite graphic fashion. Oh, God, said Weissman as he threw his hands up in the air. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what's going on here, Steve. I just don't understand this. Neither do I, Bernie. But Casey is the chief psychologist here, and he told me that her problem is extremely complex. He says, and I concur, that Marta believes that she really saw her family murdered out at the farm tonight. Did you call Hastings? No, why should I? Well, what if they really were murdered? She's suffering from delusions. She told Casey about her flashes and other things that she saw. What makes you think this is any different, Bernie? So you're saying that she has no credence at all, asked Weissman. I say simply, let's just look at her past performance since she's arrived in St. Argus, Andrews told him. Never mind her past instability. I'm going to call Hastings, Weissman proclaimed as he headed toward the pay telephone. With Andrews watching, he dialed Hastings' home number. The chief's wife answered from their bed, and a few seconds later, Hastings came on the line. But Weissman kept talking, telling the chief what had just happened. She said, what? Exploded Hastings. You heard me, Dan. They're all dead, according to Mata. Haven't you heard the story about the little boy who cried wolf, Bernie? How many times are you going to listen to her? For God's sake, go home and get going out there right now, Dan. If I find anything, including anything she might have done, I'll be sure to mention it to the media when they swarm all over this town. I'll mention how the town's police chief slept through it all as a house full of people were butchered. Put Andrews on the phone. Dr. Andrews here. Steve, is her story hold water? I personally don't think so, Dan, but... Aha! That's what I thought. Clamored Hastings. But it is possible. Tell Weissman to give me ten minutes. I'll be down at the hospital to pick him up. Have him be out front. Right, said Andrews as he hung up the telephone. Daybreak was only a short time away as Hastings sped his cruiser down the highway. Andrews had related every detail of Marta's story to Weissman, who in turn informed the flustered Hastings. They neared the intersection of the highway and the road to the farmhouse. 
Hastings turned on the high beams and then pulled over near the stop sign. Weissman, desperately trying to vindicate Marta, leaped from the car and wandered over to the sign. Hastings shined the spotlight to the spot where Marta said the arm of her husband had been thrown from the car. This is bullshit, you know, shouted Hastings as Weissman searched the area. I don't see a damn thing, Weissman confessed. Nothing. Come on, Weissman, if there was a limb out there, you'd see it. Now get back in the car. Let's go wake the DuPonts. Hastings spun the tires and left rubber on the road as they proceeded directly to the farmhouse. Weissman went over the story one final time, but Hastings was still very skeptical. What about the kids, Bernie? The kids are in a room in a basement clinic. Don't worry about the kids, Dan. You know what I mean. If we don't find anything out there, and we won't, it means once and for all, Marta Pendleton is nuts. Nuts, Weissman. Flaco. Gonzo. Weissman did not bother responding. He just stared out at the purple-hued fields as the pre-dawn shadows cast an innocent beginning to the day. He could genuinely feel the wayward isolation of the little town. For years he had been trapped up here, looking for that elusive small-town togetherness, the cohesiveness, the network of interdependence as the textbooks called it. But he never found it, or anything close to it. In fact, the decaying, closely packed city had given him more togetherness with his fellow human beings. In St. Argus, he had found divergent interest and power from the Pendletons on down to the poorest farmer. Well, it looks quiet enough out here, said Hastings as he glanced at the farmhouse. I don't see any bodies lying in the snow, Bernie, and the house looks just fine. You don't know that for sure, replied Weissman, who now didn't even believe his own words. Hastings turned into the dirt driveway. There was no blood or shattered glass. If anything did happen outside, it had been cleverly covered over. The chief pulled up to the kitchen door and shut off the car. I don't relish the fact of waking Al DuPont, he said as he stepped into the cool morning air. Unless they're all dead, Bernie, he said sarcastically. Let's just get in there, all right, said Weissman as they crossed the ice to the front door. Let me just tell you something. This is the absolute last time I'm going through this for that woman. Hastings told him. He turned and rapped on the kitchen door. They waited in silence, and their breath was white in the early morning cold. Inside, there appeared to be some noise, like someone shuffling toward the door. To no surprise to Hastings, the curtains were pulled back. The block-faced jar of Albert Dupont stared out at them. He twisted the deadbolt and removed the chain as he opened the door. What do you people want? He said with no inflection in his voice. Hey, Al, can we talk to you for a second? Smiled Hastings, trying to be as amicable as possible at that early hour. He looked over to Weissman with an expression of smug delight, knowing he had been right about Mater all along. Why have you come out here at this time of the morning? Why? Come on, Al, it's cold out here. We'll just be a few minutes. Hastings complained as he pushed his way inside. They entered the kitchen and DuPont slammed the door shut kitchen showed no signs of struggle. There was no blood or broken or scattered furniture, no dead mutilated bodies. In fact, all was in order, just the way Mrs. DuPont always kept it. Hastings furrowed his brow. Now he had to explain why they had just burst into the farmhouse at 4.45 in the morning. As he was about to speak, 
All the others of the family filed into the room like wooden soldiers, very much alive with deadly serious expressions. Oh, boy, exclaimed Hastings as he saw them. Martha isn't in bed, said Jamie with no emotion. Has something happened to Martha? What makes you say that, Jamie? asked Weissman, who was amazed by their collective sour dispositions. Because she is innocent, replied Jamie, as if he was becoming angry. She could be right here in the house for all you people know, yelled Weissman. Okay, okay, said Hastings. We know where she is. Look, Al, that's why I've come out here, because of Marta. He confessed, and they just stared at him like figures on a Grant Wood painting. I don't think the details are necessary, Dan, said Weissman as he attempted to protect Marta. We surely can see things are okay out here. Let's get back into town. What does he mean? Things are all right. Asked Dupont as if he were trying to provoke Weissman. He means your daughter had another one of her flashes, said the chief. Once again, they showed little concern for what he said. I said she just had another flash. What did she see? Asked Jamie with a slight grin. How oh, well, she claims, began Hastings, not knowing how to word it. She claims, uh, she claims, uh, that you were all murdered. I hardly think so, said Jamie. And just who did the killing? He asked and kept an eye on Weissman's reaction. Well, she said that you did the killing, said Hastings. Jamie smiled wider than before, but in a frozen, immovable grin. And then his face reverted back to its serious demeanor. I killed us all, did I? I do think it is time for the sanitarium. Here, little Marta has to be put away for her own good. Cutting her off will do nothing but hurt her cried Weissman as he stepped forward. He was incensed at their attitudes. She needs long methodical treatment and understanding. In the sanitarium, said Janie, provoking Weissman even more. Locking her up won't do that. Why don't you have a little bit more compassion for her and stop thinking about how you will be affected, Jamie? That is none of your business, replied Jamie. Come on, Bernie, Hastings said as he broke up the argument. Back to town and leave Marta to us. Where is she being held? At the clinic on the lower floor of the hospital, volunteered Hastings. Good. We will discuss her problem with the doctors. Yeah, Andrews admitted her last night, but... Casey is handling everything, said Hastings. You have been very helpful. We appreciate your coming over here. Right, said Hastings, glad they were not more upset. He did not want his image in the town to be tarnished. Come on, Bernie, let's go, said as he took a few steps toward the door. But Weissman was distraught now with the whole scene. He just stood there gawking as they all remained lined up in the kitchen. Bernie, I said, let's get out of here. Weissman bit on his lip and looked down at the floor. 
He walked right by Hastings, opened the door, and headed for the cruiser. Hastings bade them goodbye. He followed Weissman outside, shutting the door as he walked in the first rays of sunlight. Weissman sat rigidly as he waited for Hastings. Nice morning, nice morning. I love to watch the sunrise. He started the car and then got back to more immediate matters. And just what the hell is the matter with you, Bernie? Me? What's wrong with them? Did you see them? It's five o'clock in the morning. What the hell do you want? They're tired and probably pissed off. Pissed off? Yeah, that's a good one. They got nothing to be pissed off about. And the way they tried to bait me, especially him. Like he really enjoyed getting me mad. Jamie Pendleton never acted that way, and neither did they. They're all good people. Weissman, said Hastings as he backed up. Better check yourself into that clinic. You're doing anything you can in order to rationalize Marta's behavior. Inside the farmhouse, Jamie Pendleton slowly made his way to the staircase, followed by the rest of them. They walked in a mesmerized state, evidencing short, deliberate motions. You know it was a mistake, said Albert DuPont. It was unfortunate, said Jamie as he climbed ahead of them. You had her cornered, said Ben. I should have killed her when I had the chance, Jamie replied. She must live to die, said Mrs. DuPont. She will. She will, said Jamie. Tonight, when the time is right at the plant, Marta will die a painful and prolonged death. She will live to die. Weissman fought to keep his eyelids open as Hastings brought the cruiser up the Churchill Road. The DuPont station wagon was parked in a diagonal position across the road. There was nothing wrong with the station wagon. It was pristine, like it had just been through the car wash. And the windshield, which Mata had seen smashed by a severed arm, was in perfect condition. Well, there's the final catch, Bernie. Nothing wrong with the car, is there? Said Hastings as he pulled alongside of it. Where's the broken glass and the blood? Just a little speck of it. Let me see it. By this time, Weissman was tired of listening to Hastings. He just wanted to sleep and didn't even bother responding to the insinuations. Going down to get the kids after I get a few hours sleep, he told Hastings and squinted several times. You what? You have no authority to get those kids. Well, I most certainly do. Marta told me last night. She wants the kids to stay over my apartment because she didn't trust Jamie. She's a nut. It's incompetent. What do you think Jamie is going to say when he finds out you yanked his kids to your apartment? I'll just have to deal with that problem, won't I, dear? Okay. But I've heard nothing. I'm staying clear of this deal. If you want to take the guy's kids, then you'll have to deal with him. I don't want anything to do about this whole thing. Good, said Weissman as he opened the car door and slammed it cold air tingled his face, waking him a bit as he headed inside to get some rest. He felt as confused as Marta herself. She had told this incredible story of murder to Dr. Andrews. She had come screaming into the apartment as if it had really happened, yet he was unnerved by Jamie's apparent disgruntled demeanor. 
and the rest of them out there walking and talking as if they were under some great restraint from a far superior force, a force he could not identify, a force he was unsure he wanted to match wits against, if it existed at all. Several hours of sleep could help him decide that question. Back at the clinic, the morning staff was just coming on duty. Marta lay sleeping in a room down the hallway from the nurse's station, but the children were already awake, getting dressed in an adjacent room. They were told to do so by the man who stood in the tiny lobby to the rear of the nurse's station. James Pendleton I had somehow learned that his up to now unseen grandchildren were at the clinic. He stood stoically, his face filled with the same deadly seriousness as Jamie and the DuPonts. Mr. Pendleton, said the nurse as she came in from the other room. Children will be ready shortly. They're almost dressed. We'll bring them out. I cannot wait all day. I want those children brought out right now. Yes, sir. They will be brought out right now, she said as she ran back. Like everyone in town, she feared the Pendletons, and his disposition only added to that fear. Within seconds, the children, their sneakers not yet tied, walked into the lobby. They were still sleepy-eyed. They recognized the man in front of them as the same man in Jamie's photo albums. Pendleton came over to them and grasped their hands tightly. His hands were freezing cold as he looked down at them. I am your paternal grandfather, children. Where's Mommy? asked the little girl as she became frightened of the crusty old man and his frozen grip. Uncle Bernie, where's Uncle Bernie? asked Mitchie. Never mind them, yelled Pendleton as he pulled them away. You are coming with me, and that is final. The nurse was aghast at the old man's brutal behavior, and she stomped back to the station. An older nurse was going through reports as Pendleton brought the children down the corridor leading to the first floor stairs. I just can't believe old man Pendleton's attitude. He absolutely has no consideration for those kids. Just because his name is Pendleton, he can blow up right in here and take whatever he wants. Well, Dr. Casey said to let him take the children, said the older nurse. Or you could take your complaint to the board of trustees at the hospital. You know who chairs the board. Join us next time for My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.